Welcome to the post UFC 297 immediate reactions recap show. Appreciate all of you guys checking this show out and anybody that checked out last week's inaugural edition of this show. Now, the fights are actually about to kick off. So I'm recording this before the event actually starts, which you guys will be seeing our immediate reactions to every single matchup as they conclude. So you guys will get a quick, well, a quick blurb in terms of what I thought about the fight, how it played out, but I'll also be adding this week the odds that hit for every single matchup. So I'm talking about obviously the money line, but the prop, the round, the specific prop plus round, uh, the overs, or any other uh, outrageous prop that seemed to hit for every single matchup. A little bit more information for you guys uh, for every single one of these matchups on top of my immediate reaction. So without further ado, let's get right into it. The love on Malcolm Gordon this week was mind-boggling to me. As Jimmy Flick proves most of the public wrong and he goes out there and cashes as a plus 170 underdog. He had a lot of to, uh, damage to deal with early as Malcolm Gordon came out like a bat out of hell. You could see him fired up from the minute that he started the walkout. The guy was taking in all of the love from the crowd and trying to channel it into a TKO. Unfortunately, that causes him to gas out, to give up a bad position to Jimmy Flick and Jimmy Flick wraps up the arm triangle choke in the second round. Beautiful work from Jimmy Flicks to, to withstand the barrage as we knew that was Malcolm Gordon's best path, path to victory. And even though Gordon is a BJJ black belt himself, Jimmy Flick is like no other when he can get into the grappling realm with some of the submissions he can throw off of his back. And especially when he's able to secure that top position and sink in that choke the way that he did. So let's look at a couple of the props that ended up hitting once again, courtesy of FanDuel. Jimmy Flick by sub plus 350, Jimmy Flick in round two plus 900. If you took the specific round and method prop, round two by submission at plus 1100 is the price tag you would get. And then the under one and a half hits at minus 120. I got in on some of that flick by sub at plus 350. So happy with that. Shout out to anybody else that was able to cash in on that prop, but also major shout out to anybody that got in on the even better number on Jimmy Flick as the fight week went on. Absolutely dominant performance from Jasmine Jazz Duvisius as she goes out there and gets the submission victory over Priscilla Cachoeira with less than 30-ish seconds left on the clock. Uh, it's clear that Jazz Duvisius was pissed off that Priscilla Cachoeira asked to have the fight moved from a 125-pound bout to a 135-pound bout. Uh, I believe it was the day before the uh, weigh-ins or even on weigh-in day, which is why we saw both of them weigh-in at 133 pounds. But Jazz Duvisius... She was clamoring to get on this UFC Toronto card a couple months back. And over her last several wins, she's been calling for the UFC to come to Toronto. And then when they finally were announcing the card, and I think we're two months out, maybe less than two months out, uh, they didn't even have a matchup for her. But thankfully, she was able to rally and get uh, matchmakers to get on the card and who better to take it than Cachoeira but maybe that has to do with the reasoning as to why the weight was uh, adjusted from Cachoeira's perspective but regardless Zazdavisius goes out there and probably sets a record in terms of significant strikes landed um in a three-round fight, I believe they showcased it on the on the broadcast here. But the ESPN numbers right now, right as soon as the fight finished, 303 total strikes landed for Jasmine Jazdovicius, uh, compared to the 22 landed by Priscilla Cachoeira. I don't know if we'll ever see another type of a discrepancy in terms of total strikes landed uh, as we've seen there. That's like a what 280 uh, uh, total strike. 
advantage for Jazz Davisius. So great work from Jazz Davisius there. She landed a knockdown as well when Cachoeira got a little bit too lackadaisical on the feet um, in the second round. But Jazz Davisius comes through with a very solid performance there. Now let's look at some of the, the odds that Cachoeira. Obviously, Jazz Davisius, chalky favorite at minus 375, going out there and doing what she should have done. Uh, she casts by submission at plus 480, cashes in round three at plus 950. And if you put those two together, I went with the exact method of victory and round via sub in round three plus 1900 beautiful cash there for anybody that was able to get in on that the over two and a half hits at minus 160 but i'm sure a lot of people who were um, parlaying women's overs uh were sweating that one out especially with how much dominant time that jazz davisius was able to uh accrue i believe it's 11 and a half minutes of control time that she got uh the over two and a half cashes at minus 160 but the fight does not go to decision cashes at plus 100 so we're in that little gray area where the over cashes but the fight does still not go to a decision big win for jazz davisius there excited to see what's next next for her obviously she wants to go back down to flyweight try to rebuild her, her momentum after she lost to tracy cortez in her last fight her previous fight sorry but she's definitely one of the higher ranked flyweights that deserves a top 10 ranked fighter and uh, i think that's what she's going to end up getting next time but there's the result jazz davisius by submission in round three Sam Patterson successfully avoids the big power of Johan Langness and it snatches up a rear naked choke victory in the first round of their matchup. A lot of the concern in this matchup for Patterson was the fact that he might not be able to recover from that big knockout loss that he suffered at the hands of Yunel Ashmuz back in March. But luckily for him, he was able to eat at least one shot on the chin before he was able to get this fight into the grappling realm where he was able to put his BJJ brown belt on display and find that quick submission victory over Patterson. Very even more nice to to know when a fight plays out the exact way that you expected it to especially when you have the guy coming in as an underdog so let's quickly look at what odds ended up hitting for this matchup obviously patterson as a dog at plus 120 via sub plus 360 in round one plus 410 and to win by sub in round one at plus 800 the under one and a half obviously cashing at minus 140 but big win for Sam Patterson especially for his own confidence um, you know I'm sure it was a big mental thing for him to get back into the cage and get back into the win column especially with an emphatic finish in the way that he did Johan Linus is a guy that's probably going to get cut after this but it's a step in the right direction for Patterson and beautiful rear naked choke from him there if I'm not mistaken he only had one hook in as well he was working he got the first hook in got the hand or the arm under the neck and was able to start squeezing and Linus had to tap it was as simple as that big win for Patterson let's see what the UFC lines him up with next Jillian Robertson gets the Canadians back in the win column with a dominant performance on the mat which resulted in a second round TKO victory over Poliana Vienna Jillian Robertson was looking to obviously bounce back from that loss to Tabitha Ricci last time around and she did it in emphatic fashion over Poliana Vienna 
We knew that her striking game was lacking, especially against the better striker here in Vienna. But it was just a matter of time before she was able to snatch that single leg, get the fight to the ground, and be very methodical with how she was advancing position and opening up submission opportunities. But eventually, it was the ground and pound that allowed her to get her hand raised. She had a couple close submissions in for those spots. I think there was a close arm bar in the first round. And she was trying to tease that arm bar in the second round as well. But she put together a very good uh, sequence of events and sequence of moments knowing that, okay, if I go for this armbar, I'm giving up position and I might end up in a worse position. And normally she's a submission over position type of fighter, something that she likes to proclaim a lot. But good for her that she still seeked out the finish and she was able to get that TKO once again, like I said, in the second round. Let's check out what the odds were like for this matchup. Obviously, Robertson as a chalky favorite at minus 295 comes through via KO plus 750. That's juicy because a lot of people had thought that if she was going to get the win, it was likely going to come by submission. But we know with a lot of these grapplers, uh, TKO or submission is usually on the menu, uh, but she ended up going with the TKO here and shout out to anybody that got that plus 750 for her to do it in round two was plus 460 put those two together for the exact method of victory and the round you're looking at plus 2400 absolutely crazy line there for Robertson shout out to anybody that was able to get in on that and then the under two and a half obviously comes in at minus 155 Canadians are now two and two throughout through four fights on the card let's see if they can continue to showcase some resiliency and protect their home turf it was a close fight on the cards but ultimately ramon Tavares gets his hand raised by split decision over siri city ultimately now the score is 1-1 as City obviously has that TKO early stoppage victory from the contender series. They just put in a fight of the night contender for the night. Obviously, we still got a bunch more fights coming our way, but that was a very fun fight, primarily with City moving forwards, utilizing his long jab down the pipe, uh, his nasty leg kick whenever we would see Tavares try to go into orthodox position. I wish we would see uh, City actually attack the other leg a little bit more, the inside of the leg, so that we can get Tavares to be a little bit slower, but it seemed like whenever Tavares committed on his shots and started to throw with some heat, that's where it really started to damage um, City and that's how he ended up causing that big damage on City. Got the knockdown in round one. I thought it was 1-1 going into that final round. Obviously, the optics of City uh, spilling blood the entire uh, over the entire cage was not a good look in terms of the judges. It came down to that third round where it was the output of City plus his octagon control uh, against some of the bigger shots that it seemed like uh, Tavares was landing. It seemed like when Tavares landed, he landed with a little bit more emphasis, and that probably was what the other two judges ended up seeing and why they scored it in his favor. Close fight. Can't be mad at the scorecards there. Again, it all came down to that third round. Very, very close round, uh, but ultimately Tavares ends up getting his hand raised in a very close fight. Do they do part three? I would love to see it considering the type of fight that they put together last or just tonight, just now. All right, let's look at some of the props that ended up cashing here. Obviously, Tavares plus 150 dog comes through, um, uh, like I said, as the underdog by decision. Nobody expected him to win by decision. They thought if he won by knockout 
or, or not won at all, it would be by knockout or submission, but it is via decision. That comes through at plus 700, but the fight to go to decision at plus 215 cashes, the over was set at one and a half, and I believe it was like minus 125 uh, for that to happen, and it ended up uh, happening here. It was a tepid pace striking matchup with both guys landing good enough blows, but ultimately it's Ramon Tavares getting his hand raised by split decision. Another close fight that goes to the scorecards and the Americans win once again as Sean Woodson picks up a split decision victory over Charles Jourdain. Now, I thought it was Woodson all the way. I thought he did enough throughout pretty much all of those rounds uh, to just outpoint Jordan. It wasn't anything dominant, but he did a good enough job in terms of utilizing his footwork, um, his range management, uh, and just ensuring that the large amount of shots that Jordan was throwing were not landing with the most damage. We saw Woodson utilize a great footwork, like I said, a great jab down the pipe, and he almost put himself in very bad danger with the last 10 seconds of that fight where he went for a takedown and I was clenching my butt cheeks there because he almost put himself into a guillotine there uh Jordan was squeezing with the life of him but Woodson was able to pop his head out rain down a couple of shots to just stamp it but uh weird scenario there with Bruce Buffer uh making it sound like it was Charles Charles but it was actually Sean uh again with the loud crowd the similarities in the sh and sh uh, I can understand what happened there, but I'm glad that Woodson was the one that ended up getting his hand raised. Obviously, I had him as a small play myself, but uh, yeah, Woodson goes out there and showcases once again why you can't really trust Charles Jordan as a favorite. It seems like a lot of the entertainment value that he brings to the cage in his fun fighting style seems to trickle into the betting lines more often than not, and people are left up having to uh, rip up their Jordan tickets because he's not coming through with the ferocity that they expect him to fight with because of the things they remember from his Andre Ewell fight where he's just shouting at him the entire time maybe even the Duho Choi knockout he had years back but you gotta look at the fighter that is technically better and in my opinion it was Sean Woodson and he was able to get his hand raised now let's take a quick look at a couple of the odds that hit here Sean Woodson plus 165 dog ends up coming through by decision plus 290 and the fight to go to decision was minus 120 shout out to anybody that got that uh, decision prop there would seem to be the best spot for Woodson it would have been hard for him to finish Jordan who's very difficult to finish obviously but shout out to Sean Woodson comes into enemy territory and picks up a split decision. 29-28 on all three scorecards for a rising featherweight and I guess number one contender, Movsar Evloyev, as he goes out there and defeats Arnold Allen. It was a bloody battle between both of those guys, but it was Evloyev who dropped him in the second round, which seemed to stamp the first two rounds in his favor. Allen did some good work in the third round, trying to get the victory, trying to find that knockout, similar to what he did against Max Holloway, where he was able to win the fifth round on all the judges' scorecards. Unfortunately for him, it was too little, too late, and Evloyev showcases his improved striking game, his ability to get that grappling going and his insane ability to stick with his opponents in uns like crazy scrambling situations it was crazy to see Allen hitting Grammy roll after Grammy roll and Ivloev just sticking to him like white on rice it was a beautiful performance from Ivloev I can't wait to see if they match him up with a uh, title shot next up obviously we have uh, Alexander Volkanovsky and Ilya Taporia throwing down in February at UFC 298 uh, Ivloev one of the next guys he's probably going to fight for the title by the ending of the year 18-0 tremendous performance from 
Evloyev. One thing I want to highlight real quick is I love um, Evloyev's uh, ability to feint the takedown and then f- turn it into a flying knee. Uh, I feel like I heard his coach in the background saying something like Khabib or something like that. So it seemed like he was trying to hint at him. All right, fake the takedown, go for a flying knee. I landed clean, I think, at least twice in that fight. But I could see that being a potential uh, knockout opportunity for him in the future if he looks to implement it uh, even more effectively, especially when he's getting guys really biting on the takedown feints that he's throwing out there. But impressive performance from Ivoyev again. Let's quickly look at the... Um the uh, the spots that hit here obviously not a lot of juicy spots concerning a lot of people expected if Ivloyev to win it was going to be by a decision in this fight likely going to the scorecards and that's what you guys hear Ivloyev to win minus 190 Ivloyev by decision minus 120 and then over two and a half is minus 350 all of those hitting to a T pretty much um, obviously all the fights that we've covered up until this point way more juicier in terms of the props that you were able to hit but Ivloyev goes out there and gives the performance many uh spectators were expecting to see of him great win for Evloev and I cannot wait to see what he has next up and hopefully a title shot title shot is in the very near future Chris Curtis defeats uh, Marc-Andre Barrio by split decision in a relatively pedestrian matchup it was funny because they showed the significant strikes landed graphic. I believe it was in the third round. And it was neck and neck at 58-58. It seemed like a matchup where both guys were just trying to get off on their own strikes. But they just kept responding back and forth, back and forth. And I think it was Dominic Cruz that laid it out that said, it seems like a tennis match. It was a fight that just kept going back and forth. And nobody was really taking that extra stuff. Nobody went for a takedown. Nobody got a big shot that really rocked their opponent. Uh, and that's why the crowd was booing a little bit. But, you know, they were throwing it's not like they weren't throwing they just weren't throwing with the illest of intentions which is why i think that the fight went the way that it did very close fight 230 27s for chris curtis 129 28 for mark andre barrio but it was a close fight regardless uh let's quickly look at the props that I ended up cashing here or whatever ended up cashing we had chris curtis uh minus 185 as the favorite comes through uh on the money line by decision at plus 155 and then the over two and a half at minus 160 I expected a little bit more action from the Barrio side of things here. He's known for being a guy that usually pushes the pace. Even in his fight against Eric Anders, even though he was in the uh, on the back foot, just like he was in this matchup, he was still landing enough shots to make it look clear enough for the judges to score it in his favor. But he just... He couldn't really get off. I don't know if it was the defense of Chris Curtis or what it was, but it seemed like in the third round when he was really starting to go for it and really started to push it and started to get some success in the clinch, that's where he was having success. But unfortunately, he just he went to it too late. Chris Curtis showing why he's a 41-plus fight veteran at this point in time, going out there getting the split decision victory. Uh, hopefully, that's the least entertaining fight on the card again it wasn't the worst fight in the world but it's just nobody really went for it and hopefully uh with a couple more fights to go we see a more action-packed end to the card it's official male canadians on the ufc 297 card get reverse swept they go 0-7 on the card as Neil Magny pulls one out of the bag here and TKO's Mike Malott in the dying seconds of round three. Now, Mike Malott had a very solid start to this fight with some nice leg kicks and calf kicks to, uh, to keep Neil Magny from using his movement-heavy style. He implemented some 
grappling as well and got some dominant positions and didn't really attack with submission something that he's kind of known for and I thought that he was going to be doing a little bit more in this fight uh, but just managed to maintain position land some big shots from on top but it was clear Neil Magny had the cardio advantage and we saw Milot get some dominant positions in the third round tries slowing it down a little bit more too but Magny was ultimately able to get that top position and the referee gave Milot every chance possible to try to get out of that position but Milot was on empty and Magny knew that and he was able to drown him with ground and pound eventually getting his hand raised by TKO big win for Neil Magny obviously uh, a tough loss for Mike Milot the hometown gig Probably the guy that a lot of people believe to be the next Canadian up to win a title and really carry the uh, country of Canada on his back. Unfortunately, he hits a roadblock here in the form of number 13 ranked uh, welterweight Neil Magny. But Malat will definitely be back stronger for sure. This is a big learning lesson for him. Personally, I wish he went to a grappling a little bit earlier here as I felt like that would have opened up more submission opportunities for him so he wouldn't have to deal with the gazelle in the third round of this matchup where he is definitely the strongest there were some juicy props that ended up hitting up for this uh card courtesy of FanDuel once again let's go through a a few of these here obviously Neil Magny plus 270 underdog big cash there uh via KO plus 900 Magny doesn't often finish his opponents which is why that line was so juicy mixed in with the fact that he was such a big underdog in round three plus 2800 absolutely crazy line that you could have been able to get over there at FanDuel here for this spot uh, round three KO exact method and round plus 3800 absolutely nuts there obviously this was one of those fights similar to a one earlier on the card with uh, Jazz Davisius and Cash Ware where the over cashes but also the fight doesn't go to decision the over two and a half plus 150 fight doesn't go to decision minus 280 now a couple of the special props that FanDuel offered here Magni to win in the fifth minute of round three plus 10,000 absolutely crazy odds there and then this other one here which was a match special fight to be won in the first minute of round one or last minute of round three obviously the latter of those two hitting here and that cashed in at plus 950 still in disbelief from Neil Magny derailing the hype train which is Mike Malott round three should have been an auto sprinkler considering we knew that Malott had a little bit of a sketchy gas tank or at least an unknown gas tank against the cardio freak like Neil Magny should have been an auto sprinkle but the most important news of all Neil Magny getting his hand raised as a massive underdog it was grindy it was ugly it was let's be honest boring but Raquel Pennington gets her hand raised by unanimous decision. We had two 49-46s and, and a 49-45. And she is now the new UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion as she defeats Myra Bueno Silva. Now, Bueno Silva started off a little hot. She had some good strikes, got some close, uh, good dominant positions on the mat. But ultimately, her gas tank failed her. And we saw Pennington go out there and grind this fight out over the next 20 minutes. And it was kind of puzzling to see her continuously engage in the grappling with Bueno Silva, even if it was the clinching up against the cage. It seemed like that was the only spot that Bueno Silva could potentially pull off a submission of any sort. But Pennington obliged, and luckily for her, she was still able to get the more dominant positions, rain down the more dominant and significant strikes, and eventually still get her hand raised on the scorecards. And again, very 
poor coming event, if I'm being honest. Uh, kind of glad that I didn't end up having to sit through that in a 25-minute uh, setting in that type of arena. Uh, but still, shout out to Raquel Pennington. This is a fighter that's been in the UFC for 10 plus years now. A fighter that not a lot of people believed could actually make it to the next level or even hold on to her UFC roster spot after she came off of the Ultimate Fighter. But she put together a couple solid victories. I believe this one was five or uh, it was a five or six fight winning streak. A couple of uh, shady and weird decisions in there as well. But it propped her up for this title shot. And luckily for her, it was not Amanda Nunes staring across the cage from her this time around. But she gets her hand raised. And it seems like Juliana Pena is next up for her. Daniel Cormier even asked her in the cage. But it seems like Pena was actually supposed to fight in this spot. Uh, an injury kept her out of this spot. But it, it's clear as day that she is likely the next challenger up for Raquel Pennington. Uh, let's quickly touch on some of the props that hit here um, or odds that hit here. Uh, Pennington plus 140 on the money line. She cashes as the underdog by decision at plus 230 and then the over four and a half cashes at minus 125 as well. I know a lot of people are holding on to round three, four and five tickets for Pennington and probably just biting their nails the entire time considering how many close finishing opportunities there were for Pennington, especially if she was just able to get out into open space and let her fist fly, but she felt more confident and comfortable in the grindy positions where she was able to have dominant uh, control and just make it look good enough for the judges to get her hand raised. Uh, this is a very forgetful co-main event title fight, and hopefully the main event delivers. Really looking forward to that next. And new middleweight champion Drikus Duplessis gets a split decision victory over Sean Strickland in a phenomenal five-round main event at UFC 297 in Toronto. Great win for Duplessis. It was a very close fight back and forth until it seemed like Duplessis was starting to get some damage on Strickland. Uh, it cut him a couple times. There was a lot of blood leaking from the eye of Sean Strickland, even battling through the swelling, the, the huge swelling that was happening on one side of the face of Duplessis uh, from the constant jabs of Strickland, but Duplessis Plessy battled through it, landed some big shots, and to me, it seems like he won rounds two, three, and four on at least two judges' scorecards. Actually, you know what? Let me pull it up right now since I believe they have released that information. So let's uh, talk about the scorecards here real quick. Personally, I thought it could have gone 3-2 uh, Strickland rounds one, two, and five, um, but let's see what the scorecards actually read. Uh, according to the judges. So Derek Cleary had rounds two, three, and four for Duplessis. Eric Colon also had two, three, and four. So it makes sense along the lines of what I was thinking. And then the one dissenting judge, Saldi Amato, had, had rounds one, three, and five in favor of Strickland. I thought Duplessis won round three. I thought it should have been one, two, and five for Strickland. I might be getting rounds two and three mixed up in my head at this moment in time, but I do think that uh, this could have gone either way you know shout out to Duplessis going out there and getting the job done uh, and also shutting up a lot of people myself included in terms of the cardio issues we've said that he has in the past um, seems like he's either shored that up or he never really had cardio issues to begin with and we were just making a big deal out of uh, something that shouldn't have been a big deal in the first place but um, 
I don't think they do the rematch next. I know it was a split decision in favor of Duplessis. Uh, Adesanya, obviously, is a big fight for Duplessis. That was a fight that was supposed to happen before. Unfortunately, Duplessis was unable to uh, make the date due to an injury. Another fighter that's hanging out there is Hamza Chemaev, who just can't seem to stay active enough. So I think you got to kind of push him off to the side. Maybe do Hamza versus Strickland for the next number one contender. Um, but I would love to see Duplessis versus Adesanya next. Uh, let's quickly go over the the odds that hit for this matchup some juicy spots here obviously dude plus he, uh it was a pick em by fight time minus 110 he catches as the pick em, uh via decision plus 750 the most unlikely outcome of any of the victories uh methods that he could have gotten uh by split or majority decision cash that plus 2900 shout out to anybody that got in on that action over two and a half at minus 110 cashes as well fight to go to decision plus 220 and then a special here that uh, FanDuel had six plus takedowns. There were six takedowns in total landed in this matchup all on the side of Drake's Duplessis. Uh, plus 1,200 for six plus takedowns to be landed. So shout out to Duplessis in terms of mixing up the game as best as possible. Again, fun fight. Um, I think that these guys will eventually fight each other again, uh, as long as Strickland doesn't have to go through Chemaev, which could be a pretty bad matchup for him. But uh, Strickland, clearly a huge fan favorite. It's insane to have seen him go from the guy that was headlining Apex cards during this COVID era, you know, uh, you know, fighting guys like Jack Marshman and then Uriah Hall. Um, uh, Jack Hermanson, I think he fought as well. I could be off on that. Marvin Vittori, I uh, could be off on that as well now that I'm thinking about it. But he just main evented after main event after main event in the uh, Apex and then finally became a champion, breaking through obviously last September against Adesanya and now unfortunately losing in his first title defense. But this is a guy I'm sure we haven't seen the last of. It seems like the fans are truly behind him. Uh, say what you want about his political beliefs and all that other nonsense. Um, the guy's a fighter. The guy goes out there and he fights and he performs. So I look forward to seeing what's next for him as well. All right, wrapping this up, uh, dogs, it was a dog night. Dogs went seven and four on the card. Uh, if you want to count Drickus Duplessis, who was an underdog earlier this week, and dogs went eight and four. You know, a crazy uh, dog night, a lot of upsets. There was a lot of decisions as well. So the card started off with four straight uh, finishes, and then we pretty much got all decisions with the exception of Neil Magny getting that last second finish over uh, Mike, Mike Malott. But seven decisions, uh, four of them went to a split. So there's a lot of dissent. Uh, you know, I think the Series CD and Ramon Tavares decision, probably the most egregious out of all of them. Um, but four de split decisions, absolutely crazy to see that many of them. Performer of the night, you know, I, it went between two for me. I'm going to end up going with Jasmine Jazdovicius because of how dominant she ended up looking in that fight. Not to mention setting the record that she did for most significant strikes landed in a 15-minute fight. I think... Uh, it's third most over like UFC history period. I think that includes 25-minute fights as well. Um, and then probably the largest discrepancy in significant strikes that will actually end up seeing. I think it's significant strikes or total strikes. Regardless, she beat the shit out of Priscilla Cachoeira and then put a stamp on it by getting a finish in the last minute of that fight as well. So big performance from Jasmine Jazz Duvicius showing out in front of the Canadian crowd. You know, the women went 2-0. Unfortunately, the men went 0-7 uh, Canadians that I'm talking about. So Jazz 
Vicious, great performance from her. She takes the performer of the night for me. Uh, and then the runner-up was Drikus, right? Going out there, going the full five rounds, and then winning at least three of them on two judges' scorecards. You know, the guy's an athletic freak, but he does such a good job in terms of utilizing his power, um, managing his gas tank, and then mixing in a couple takedowns when he can. You know, there's going to be guys that won't be able to get up from under the the pressure and, and power that he brings to the table, but Strickland is so good in terms of just always working back to his feet and always making it tough for his opponents to keep him in one spot. Um, so very intrigued by that. I really want to see, I know it shouldn't be next because of the inactivity of Hamzat Shemaev, but I really want to see Drikas versus Hamzat because I think that will be a very fun fight, right? Can Drikas stay um, active enough to keep Hamzat from establishing a dominant position? And then what does it look like for both of them in terms of the gas tank in a fight that will primarily be taking place in the grappling realm? Um, Fun fight to think of, but it shouldn't be next due to Hamzat's inactivity. It should be Adesanya getting the rematch here, or at least a fight that he should have been getting in the first place um, against DDP. But um, all in all, decent night. There was a lull with all of the dis- all of the decisions. Uh, you know, the the Coleman event, not that fun. Pretty boring. Uh, the uh, the. Chris Curtis and Barrio fight a little bit blah as well. Started off very hot, right? A four straight finishes, tremendous night to tremendous way to start the night, but it just felt a little bit slow after that. But uh, finally, happy that the UFC came to Toronto. Hopefully, they don't take another five years to get back to it. But uh, great spot for them. I think the reception was great. They broke records in terms of the gate at Scotiabank Arena. Great work all around from the UFC, but just please don't bring another bantam, women's bantamweight title fight to uh, the Scotiabank Arena. Give us something hot. Give us something big. Give us Max Holloway again. Max Holloway used to call uh, Toronto, I think, the Ninth Island, if I'm not mistaken, because of how often that he used to fight here. You know, back in the day, we used to have John Jones headlining cards, and I know that had to do with the fact that MMA was still not legalized in New York so the best way to take advantage of the fact that he was a New York guy was to have him fight in Toronto or at least in New Jersey uh and times are changing obviously but we deserve better than what we got in terms of name value on this card because no matter what the it was going to sell out Toronto fans are rabid for MMA we love MMA up here you know it was 10 years ago uh, maybe 13 years ago actually now at this point that Dana called Toronto the mecca of MMA because of how rowdy we are and we showed out once again but we need a better card um and I look forward to the next one all right there is a week off next week from the UFC, but the UFC is back in full swing. Uh, I believe February 3rd is their next card, headlined by Roman Delizze and Nasruddin Imovov. And I think we have a card pretty much all the way until end of March, if I'm not mistaken, or middle of March. So um, back to back to back to back, the UFC is going all out uh, after this one weekend break that they have. There's three regional big regional events next week well big if you are a mma nutcase that is of course let me just quickly pull those up i believe it's lfa uh here we go uh aca octagon and lfa going down next week so if you're looking for mma action or anything like that i will be dropping a full card breakdown on one of those three i think it's going to be octagon because i'm very much intrigued by that promotion so stay tuned for even more content from your boy next week even though there's no ufc i'll keep you guys busy with some uh some videos talking about different things but also breaking down this octagon card appreciate all the love appreciate all the support hit that like and subscribe below let me know what you cast out on this week and uh what big plus money spots you hit you you hit as well and what parlays you hit Uh, i would love to hear about in the comment section otherwise i'll see you guys again next week peace